Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between, we will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Naked Gun 2 and a half, The Smell of Fear. This is Nikki. And this is John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. So in our first episode, we talked about why we started this podcast, and I'm just going to repeat, we'll probably repeat this for the next few, and then, yeah, you know, it's good to have a once refresher. people <laughs> get the gist of it. Um, we So last year, 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, we started having a lot of Netflix parties or movie watching parties. And a lot of the movies that we were watching were, and the ones that we enjoyed the most were from the year 1991. And maybe a few months ago, back in maybe September, October of 2020, we were like, should we do the talk about this in a podcast form? And so John put together the entire list of movies that were released in 1991 that took a really long time. And we now have that on the website, which is 1991moviewrewind.com. And now in the beginning of 2021, we are starting to talk about it. The 30th anniversary of all also, of these Also, yes. Yeah. And then we, yes, we also were like, oh, 1991 is, was also 30 years ago. So this is the 30th anniversary for all of these movies. Yeah. So we'll get to as many as we can. Um, and then we'll just keep the party going for 31, 32, 33. Yep. And so on. But today we're here to talk about Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. And in this movie, we rejoin Frank Drebin, played by Leslie Nielsen, and the rest of the police squad as they try to solve the mystery of a bombing at a solar power research facility. All signs point to the heads of coal, nuclear, and oil, and the ringleader, Quentin Hapsburg, played by Robert Goulet. And to make matters worse for Frank, his ex-girlfriend Jane Spencer, played by Priscilla Presley, is dating Hapsburg. Can the police squad save the day yet again and maybe get the girl back at the same time? Screenplay by David Zucker and Pat Proft, directed by David Zucker, and released on June 28th, 1991. So I think, uh, even though I just gave a summary of the plot, I think it's probably important to say that in a movie like Naked Gun, plot really doesn't matter. It's not the driving focus. Yeah, Yeah, it should be unimportant. Like, um... For anyone who may be unfamiliar with Naked Gun, first, this is a sequel. That's why it's called Two and a Half. Uh, that, you know, they try to inject jokes into the, the title. Uh, but Naked Gun and Police Squad, which is a 1982 uh, series that this is based around, or, yeah. The TV a, show? An offshoot of, yeah. yeah um, which I never saw. Uh, yeah, I never saw much either. I think I maybe saw, like, <clears throat> brief clips. 
Um, but that's it's it's like a pure like parody of the genre of like police procedurals and like stuff like uh, what would people be familiar with these days? NYPD Blue. That's old. That is old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's very nineties. <laughs> Blue Bloods. Yeah, I don't even know any co- besides uh, Chicago, because there's now Chicago, oh, yeah, Chicago Fire, Fire, Chicago, Chicago PD, PD, yeah, all these Chicago Med. I mean, so, those are the procedurals that I'm yeah used to now. So that but I don't really watch the shit. That's what they're going after. They're looking at um, the idea of a cop show and a cop drama and just turning it on its head as much as possible and just injecting subversive uh, material in there. So the plot is just. It's there, but you don't need it. Um, it's more about the jokes. But I will quickly say about the plot that it is weird in this case and, and something of a, a letdown is that the stakes are significantly lower in this movie than what was what we saw in Naked Gun 1, which came out in, what, 88, I think it was. Yes. Um, because in the first one, we go from someone's going to kill the queen of England. Yes. And now it's, uh-oh, somebody's going to be the wrong person giving this speech to right. a group of people. And that's yeah. the big thing. I mean, there's bombs. But, you know, like that, but that's not like what they focus on. They're like, you know, this, yeah, you know, and this, this body double for this person is going <laughs> to give the speech. turns out to be the most boring speech yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah. When the right person gives it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was worth mentioning, you know, the plot is... It, they could have raised the stakes just for the sake of absurdity, I think. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about comedy. Yeah, shall let's we? do it. Because that's... The film starts very much with a, a slapstick sequence, and that's that's sort of like a running thing throughout the Naked Gun franchise is, is a, a nice mix of visual, slapstick... Um, Verbal, just like any type of comedy you can think of is kind of mashed together in these movies. Um, so the opening scene is with uh, Frank Drebin, who is invited to the White House for a dinner with all these different energy heads. Uh, and Barbara Bush is there, and George Bush is there. And Barbara Bush just takes a beating <laughs> inadvertently. Well, throughout the entire movie. Throughout the entire movie. Um. Frank, like, exits, like, the bathroom or something and slams the door in her face, completely oblivious to what he had just done. Uh, at one point, he has this giant lobster dinner that he's <laughs> eating. Um, smacks her by accident with the claw of this massive lobster and pulls the chair out from under her uh, to offer it to someone else. Just a lot of, uh, she takes a beating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's probably, like, the most naked gun sequence in the movie. Yeah, throughout the movie, she's, well, he is kind of always. He's, he's oblivious to obli- what he's doing. Obliviously hurting her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and. and uh, or embarrassing her. And, but it's funny that she doesn't, she's not mad about it. She's just kind of flopping over like, oh, like yeah. she's not mad <laughs> about it. Yeah, part of what makes it funny is that. People come to her aid, but nobody like nobody's like recognizes hey, the actual dude, situation. Yeah, no one like, comes this. up to him. It comes up to him and says, "Hey, why did you hit that?" Or, "Hey, look out! Like, be careful!" Everyone just sort of um, they know something happened, and Frank Drebin is at this at, at the core of it. But they kind of act like it was a 
Like she a, a was slipping disaster. and falling yeah, and like on she, her own. Yeah, like she fell on her own or that she just happened to, you know. So uh, it's, it's George Bush Sr. being impersonated, um, the first President George Bush. And then Barbara Bush, who I don't think has any lines. No, it's just her all. kind of going, like falling yeah, over just a lot. Over. Um, I thought Barbara was better than George, maybe because she didn't have any lines, but she looked a lot yeah, more like George. Yeah, she looked like her. Like, like her the guy who played, I don't know his name, I forgot. Uh, John Rourke. Okay, the guy that played him, it looked like he had, like it was obvious um, face, like makeup yeah, and prosthetics. either prosthetics just to look like him. And then the voice was really odd. Yeah. Like he was trying too hard to do the George Bush voice. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then Marjorie Jane Ross was the one who played Barbara Bush. And she had only been in two movies, this and a movie called Hero, where she also played Barbara Bush. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> so, if she's just... That was her thing for two Barbara movies. The Barbara Bush impersonator. And then Clinton was elected they hire and she her. Was no longer needed, I guess. Right. Um, but the guy, John Rourke, he had done impression work a lot. I guess he was maybe sort of like a Rich Little type of a, a guy who did impressions, but maybe not the best of impressions and focus on the political stuff. Um, so not, not great. He also did play Bush in Silence of the Hams, which is a 1993 spoof of Silence of the right. Lambs. So, I've never yeah. seen it. No, I don't think I have either. Uh, don't really want to. Um, I'm curious just to know what. Well, maybe we'll make it part of uh, no, <laughs> this very special we episode. <laughs> we, probably not. <laughs> I mean, if we do, we will watch Silence of the Lambs again. Right. <laughs> just to kind of compare Maybe and like cross-reference and everything. I'll watch clips of it or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I say all that to sort of say that political humor is part of this movie. There are quite a few political jokes in here, um, but nothing that you have to be our age to get. Like you don't, you wouldn't have had to have been a kid in 1991 or an adult in 1991 to understand most of the political jokes that are in this movie. Yeah, it's mostly just that these figures exist, and they're just ragging on the Democratic Party in general and how they're losers and whatever. Like that's just you know, that could be like a timeless joke. Like it doesn't matter. Um, or they're talking about clean energy versus unclean energy uh, in terms of like the solar panels and you know oil and whatever else, which we'll, I think we'll probably get into maybe in a second. But, you know, so that that element is in there, but it's not like the main focus. Um, but after the opening scene, you know, all the kind of physical comedy, then we go into the opening sequence of the titles. So just yeah. like Police Squad, just like Naked Gun 1, um, the title sequence comes up and we are in the point of view of a police car with, like, the, the siren light uh, up on yeah, top. whirring around. Whirring around, uh, driving through all kinds of wacky scenarios. Um, so they always have to try to Yeah, running people over, going through buildings. Exactly. So, yeah, so they're going through buildings. They're doing some bumper car stuff. They're, yes. like, roller coasters <laughs> sometimes. In this case, they're, like, in a bullfighting ring, and the matadors are, you know... Moving their little uh, capes or whatever they call those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then at the end, 
you have Zsa Gabor coming out of the car and slaps <laughs> and slapping the, the side. So yeah, that's and probably dropping, uh, an F bomb, which was weird in a PG thirteen movie. Yeah, that was probably meant for that day. Yeah, that was more of a joke of the time. So Jaja Gabor um, had been arrested like a year or two before mm-hmm. for slapping a cop. Yeah, yeah. During a traffic stop. So that was just a, you know. Like a nod to. Exactly. Her. And that's her only appearance. Yeah, in the movie. In yep. this movie. She just comes out of a car, slaps this police car, and then goes, goes yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was. It was still funny. I mean, if you knew what, if you yeah, knew if who you Zsa Gabor yeah, was, yeah, if you understood that, and you joke understood the context time. of it. It was funny, and even if you didn't, the other stuff I thought was interesting, like the bumper cars and the birth canal. Like, oh, you yeah. know, so, some of that stuff's like kind of obvious, but it was still like it was worth a chuckle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get in the meat of the story with the the bombing and everything, and to me, that's where like the jokes kind of fall flatter and flatter as time goes on i don't know what you thought about it because we've watched naked gun one last year as well mm-hmm. so it's relatively fresh in your mind how do you think the two compare i mean this movie is still funny mm-hmm. but of course the first one is a lot funnier with the jokes and how even the storyline how everything just fell in the place. It made sense. A lot of the jokes were in this movie were trying too hard. I think I liked in the beginning, yeah, when he does when the bombing does happen, and then they show the body. Yeah, like all the like the chalk outline. Yeah, type the chalk of outlines where it's like on the wall. There's like a window carving of it and then th- that was funny to yeah. me when he's just walking around seeing that like the egyptian hieroglyphic yeah. version of it but yeah it was as the movie progressed it was not as funny as the first one i just feel that the first one was consistently funny throughout yeah i agree i i think um this one leads too much on parody of specific things mm-hmm. whereas like naked gun one basically just tried to in i keep on saying inject like they keep on trying to um you know add the unexpected whenever possible and you know for comedies i think that that's crucial because there's really like two key elements of comedy one of them is well, I mean, there's probably whatever. Uh, one of them is like the unexpected, like, you know, you hope or expect that something is going to happen and then you get turned on your head. Mm-hmm. And that can work in terms of horror, of course. You know, if if you think someone's going to do a certain thing and then all of a sudden here comes like a serial killer or whatever out of the shadows. But it also works in the opposite but similar way with comedy where you have this build up to something and then the writing turns it on its head or the performances or the visual gag or whatever turns it on its head. Um, the other thing, the other key to comedy, in fact, why don't you ask me what the key to comedy oh, is? Why do I have to ask you? Well, <laughs> what's the other key to comedy? Timing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I stole that joke from Garfield and Friends. Um, like a book? Huh? 
No, the cartoon show, the 90s cartoon or 80s, 90s cartoon. Um, There was like a joke about what's the key to comedy and like the narrator is like whatever. Anyway, if you have to explain it. (laughs) It's not funny. Yeah, if you have to explain it, it's not funny. So um, timing and the unexpected. Um, Here, I think they they lose the timing a lot. Um, And then there's just not as much unexpected stuff. It's mostly tried. They mostly try to do comedy through dialogue. There's much less than like what you talk about. Yeah, than slapstick. Yeah, like there's there's less physical comedy. Um, there's less of that. What we saw the bombing with like the the body chalk outlines. It's more just trying to say weird things or parody things, um, like ET or um, what else did they parody? They parody. They parodied Ghost and ET. Those were the main two. Casablanca and, at one point. Yeah, and then there was the singing in the shower, where she, she was singing Barbra Streisand's The, the Way, Way We, we were. were. Yeah. Yeah, so they put, like, weird little things like that, but it wasn't as, it wasn't, it wasn't filled to the brim with as many off-the-wall things that you would expect. There wasn't so many background gags that you would hope to find in this one. Um, should we talk about the ghost sequence, though? Yeah, that's a main that? a major sequence in that movie. <laughs> that was a long sequence. Yeah. Um, so why don't you why don't you take it away? So well, so this movie directed by David Zucker, he also directed Airplane with his brother Jerry Zucker, mm-hmm. who directed ghost and then that was released in 1990 maybe several months before this movie maybe a year before this movie yeah and then he uses you know the obvious pottery scene in ghost with the righteous brothers unchained melody Mm mm-hmm and yeah that scene was it was a little ridiculous and over the the top one the ghost one, yeah. Yeah. You mean like the original movie or no, no, this, this, this one parody? Yeah. Okay. And I was also trying to find because there, you know, there's a part where, <laughs> you know, they're taking their their clothes off and they show Frank Drebin's chest. Leslie and Nielsen, who Leslie Nielsen. Oh, I didn't look up how old he was at the time. He was like sixties at least. I was trying to find out because it's obviously a a body double, stunt double, because it's like a very swole man's chest. And and I was like, is that Arnold Schwarzenegger's chest? (laughs) I was trying to find out who the chest double Uh, was, but I couldn't find it. uh, Or the stunt. I mean, I found the stunt double because they do other stunts in this movie. Right. But I couldn't find the chest double. Yeah, the body doubles usually go uncredited, but it was definitely a very muscular person. Um, but probably that that gave us one of the better jokes in the movie when she puts her hand down this bodybuilder's pants, you know, the shirtless bodybuilder's pants. Yeah, and then it was like a handful like, of clay. Yeah, it comes up <laughs> it with a kind handful of, gross. of clay. It was funny which, and gross. Which then gets shaped into a uh, ashtray. Um, yeah, as they're making out still. Yeah. So, yeah, all kinds of, like, hands everywhere and just, you know, they just... Taking yeah, always multiple hands, because then there's, like, another scene where she's slapping him. Yeah. It, when and it was, like, third or three or four hands come out to slap him in the face. Yeah, she tries to slap with the right, he blocks it and holds onto her hand, tries to do it with the other hand, so she, so now both of her hands are being held. 
and then a third hand comes off from nowhere and slaps, and slaps him. him and they look surprised. That's the kind of stuff that I wanted to see throughout the whole movie. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of, I don't know, the movie kind of takes some of those things too far. Like the ghost sequence was funny, but it lasted a bit too long. Like all, when they're, um, you know, in the sexual scene where it was portrayed all by, you know, stock footage. I kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was funny, but it just went on a long time. You know, they added uh, so much. I didn't much. mind it. <laughs> it was making me laugh. So maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority here. I don't know, because then I was like, what if they showed all sex scenes like this, where it was yeah. just stock footage of, you know, a flower blooming? Right. I mean, some... <laughs> Some older movies would take, like, one of those images, Mm -hmm. you know, like a train going through a tunnel to sort of represent that. Right. You know, they wouldn't show, like, the lead up to that, but they would show that and that was meant to sort of represent it. So that's what they're playing off of here. But I don't know. They should have just gone whole hog. I don't know. Uh, They had, like, a waiter with a bare ass. They had Zsa saying fuck. Like, you know, it's close to an R. They have, like, yeah. gore. They have a little bit, a tiny bit of gore. Not too much, but... You have a guy getting blown up um, off screen with a fire hose inflating him until he yeah. pops like a water balloon. But they don't show they him. They don't show it. They just show they his body being filled up with water, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Maybe and they thought it would like be too much like Monty spitting. Python. Yeah, and then just water spitting out of his clothes, sort of. Yeah, sputtering out. So. Like, through his pores, basically. The other thing that was interesting about this movie is that they didn't play on repeating a lot of what happened in Naked Gun 1, which I think is... Yeah, not really. You know... Like, a few years passed because him and Priscilla Presley, her character, they broke up. They were going to get married... And like she left him at the she altar. She left him I at guess. the altar, and then it's been two, three years, and he's been, you know, hung up about her for yeah during that time. But they don't repeat a lot of the same like what happened jokes. Yeah, they yeah. don't repeat like a lot of the same sequences or whatever. Um, I think the the closest that we have to something like that is with Nordberg, played by O.J. Simpson, where in the first movie he got beat up like crazy. Yeah, you know, like in the beginning and at any any point in time he was the barbara bush of that first movie mm-hmm. and in the they second showed one, a little bit of it because when he was under he was on the car and they exactly. were driving around and he was underneath the car just being yeah getting dragged, dragged through all kinds of like obstacles yeah there was right like a i don't know just yeah. randomly in the road it wasn't and the cactus thing like yeah. In the Simpsons, but it basically, yeah, it, it was kind was. of referencing that. So they didn't, they didn't, they didn't go back to the well too much, except for like with Nordberg. But you know who is in the movie? Weird Al Yankovic. Yep. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm a big Weird Al fan. I know you don't care as much about it, but um, Weird Al has now been in both of the movies, and I think I saw he is actually in the third one. I don't remember watching the third one. I remember watching the third one because I remember Anna Nicole Smith. Oh, okay. Maybe I would have seen it. I mean, that's like right up my family's alley to watch those. So I probably have seen it. I just don't remember. Um, but in the first and the third one, he plays himself. Um, and in the second one, he actually plays a character who gets uh, knocked out by Frank Drebin opening a door <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he's like a criminal who's like pointing a gun at, at the cops inside the police station and he gets knocked out by the door. David Zucker appears as Davy Crockett when they're shooting up um, Hector Savage's house. All right. I don't were. remember. Yeah, there's like a bunch of cops. I remember that just, part, but I don't remember him as Davy Crockett. Yeah, he was like the only one who wasn't dressed like a cop. Okay. And I think they probably could have like done more with that scene as well. Like it, the joke in that scene was just that they're shooting up the house like nonstop. Mm-hmm. And like that was just and then like not the hitting joke. anything. Or, or I mean, they're hitting the house, but I don't know. Well, not him. They're yeah. they're trying to hit him, but they're hitting everything but him. I like that they actually. This is something I kind of wish other movies would do. Like for the actors, a lot of the supporting characters are not identified by their character name, but by the line of dialogue that they said. Which I think was actually a really good idea for a lot of these people. Uh, but then they also have, like, other joke credits in there, like, um, you know, they'll have, like, the foreman on set, like, the construction workers on set, foreman, and then they'll list the names, and then after that they'll have George Foreman, and then they'll have mm. this, like, height and weight and stats for boxing, or they'll have uh, film loader, and then the next one will be loaded filmer. Right. You know, like random stuff like that. Or production painter. And then impressionist painters. And <laughs> this one was probably one of my favorites. Like, uh, they do production painters and they list the two. And then they say impressionist painters, Vincent Van Gogh and Edgar Skip Degas. Like, they had <laughs> like a little nickname for him on top of everything else. I thought that was a nice little touch. So we already mentioned them by name. We got Leslie Nielsen who is a fantastic comedy actor who kind of came into it mostly from the Naked Gun series and Police Squad. I mean, he started with, I don't know if it's really his first comedic role, was Airplane in 1980. Yeah, I was looking up a lot. I mean, he was in a lot of stuff in the, in like the 60s. Yeah, but primarily that was like horror or um, like suspense mm-hmm. type of stuff. And then he transitioned into the comedy stuff Starting with Airplane, going sort of against his type. And you got Priscilla Presley, uh, who didn't act a whole lot. She was in Dallas for several years, did the Naked Gun trilogy. She was in The Adventures of Fort Fairlane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't do a whole lot after that. And she's fantastic. And, you know, yeah. She, she did not get Presley. enough of a, 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 just real quick, I don't think she got, got enough of a role in this one. Like, she had a bunch of lines, but she just didn't get to do a lot in this movie compared to the other one. Oh yeah, compared to the first movie, yeah. I mean, I like I mean, I just really like her as a comedic actress and I was trying to look up more about why she didn't do more movies. You know, why hasn't Priscilla Presley acted more since these cuz she's basically yeah. in these 3 Naked Gun movies, and then after that, she was in a few episodes of Merrill's Place, which mm-hmm. I remember her in, and then maybe a couple other TV shows. And then, I mean, I know she has money, right? But Elvis's um, ex-wife, yes. But then I was like, she's really good. Good. She's a really good comedic actress. And then I found this article online. It's the spokesman review out of Spokane, Washington for some reason. And it was published in January, 1995. So this article, it was a really good article. And then I just took some snippets and they asked her about her acting. 
and she said that after the Naked Gun trilogy, she got a steady flow of scripts, but her manager said that she constantly had to go. Her manager said that Priscilla had to constantly go the extra yard and, you know, she had to land parts by auditioning further and harder than other people. Hmm. And she was constantly typecasted and labeled. And then the future around 1995, the future of the Naked Gun spoofs, you know, it did catapult her into stardom. And they were thinking, David Zucker was thinking about making a fourth one around that time, but because of the OJ case, that definitely hindered everything. Makes sense. You could definitely do things without OJ's character. Right. I mean, they could have... I mean, like I said, he was basically... Kill him off or... Yeah. Or he wouldn't even have to He wouldn't to even have, have to appear. They could, like, make a passing notion. Just say, like, oh, yeah, he's to. somewhere else. Still experience. Another tidbit about her that I found out is that she dated Robert Kardashian from 1975 to 1976. Hmm. Other notable actors in this one, we got Richard Griffiths, who played um, a wheelchair-bound uh, solar panel scientist, Dr. Meinheimer as well as his look-alike, uh, the evil twin sort of yes. type of a, a person. Richard Griffiths is probably most known these days for Harry Potter. Yes. Can you, explain, yeah, can you explain who that is? <laughs> who Harry Potter no, is? No, who his character was in the movies, for anyone who might not be familiar. Um, I'm, he played Mr. Dursley, who is Harry Potter's uncle. There you go. Okay. Uh, and then he was also in King Ralph, which we'll get to eventually as part of this podcast. Because that was also 1991. Um, then lastly, Hector Savage was like sort of like the, the thug of this movie. He did all the dirty work. He set the bomb, and he was like having shootouts with the police. That was played by a guy named Anthony James, who is a accomplished villainous character actor throughout um, a, a good portion of several decades. Um, he first started as the murderer in the heat of the night back in 1968. And then his last film was uh, Unforgiven in 1992. And it was interesting. I don't know. The supporting character cast and, and what happened to them after these movies is probably more interesting than, than some of the stuff that happened in the movie. Because Anthony James, after Unforgiven, he just decided to quit acting and become a professional artist. So he has like a book out uh, of his poetry. He has a memoir out of like his time in the acting world. And then he went on to have, you know, gallery shows and major cities and he accomplished that goal of becoming a professional artist which is interesting to me uh, and he passed away mid last year unfortunately then I think the last cast member that we had to talk about which has like the the smallest part of them all mm-hmm. but possibly like one of the most interesting histories uh, is the lounge singer um, uh, at one point Frank Drebin goes into a blues club um, which is basically like where all depressing people show up and on the back wall they have pictures of like the Hindenburg disaster, or the Titanic and all these other depressing things because it's basically meant for people to go and wallow. Um, and there's a singer basically. Uh, She's singing a depressing song uh, yeah, on a piano. Exactly. Um, and that is played by. Colleen Fitzpatrick. Yes, Colleen Fitzpatrick. I only wrote down her her 
Also known as her vitamin ac- C. Yeah. Her otherwise known as vitamin, vitamin C. C. Yes. Uh, who had a hit album in like 1999 or 2000 with a couple different hits, Graduation. Smile. And Smile. That's what I know. But I'm, when it comes to vitamin C, it's very interesting to me because at this time, she formed a band called Eve's Plum, and I have their, I still have their CD, and I was just obsessed with. And I've, I've never heard of Eve's, Eve's Plum. Like shortly after this movie was made, like she went and formed this band that uh, became moderately successful. Well, okay, Not super so successful, yeah, the song that I like is called "I Want It All." That's the one that I like the most, and. The other song that's probably well known by Eve's Plum is called Blue, and they they show the video of that on an episode of Beavis and Butthead back in the day. Mm, okay, that's maybe what they're most well known for. But when I was reading up about Eve's Plum, it sounded like their album didn't do so well. They had the one song that I like called "I Want It All," and that was on the charts for a few weeks and then that was it their albums didn't even chart at all so i'm now i need to i was i started thinking like do i need to do a vitamin c deep dive because i was like this band is so different because she's very like her voice is very growly and it's very grunge and then she goes from grunge to vitamin c yeah pure pop and it's yeah and i'm like how did she like I just need to know. <laughs> and now she's the VP of music for Nickelodeon Television, yeah. which is I mean there there are other podcasts path. that can talk about vitamin C. Yeah. This movie, unlike Cape Fear, was only nominated for one award. So Cape Fear had a few different nominations including Oscars and Golden Globes. This one only had one and it was for the MTV Movie Awards. Uh they were also nominated for Best Kiss in the same year as Cape Fear, uh, which unfortunately Like, which means, kiss? Is it during the ghost scene? I don't know. It must have been, right? Or that wasn't that great of a kiss? I mean, kiss? When, <laughs> when they say, like, best kiss, like, maybe it was, like, the one where, you know, Leslie Nielsen hops up on, you know, wraps his, jumps and wraps his legs around Priscilla Presley. So okay. So like, the, the role reversal of... Yeah. Of, um, you know, Patrick and me um but yeah i you know my girl won we know yeah yeah which we which we knew so we'll, we'll talk about it once we get to my girl yeah so two movies in a row where we have a person under the car and it was nominated for mtv movie award best kiss so can we make it three in a row next week only time will tell we'll see we'll see um Otherwise, I think uh, probably the other thing that's notable to mention on this, which we didn't talk about so much with Cape Fear, is just the the budget, uh, or I'm sorry, the box office, box office performance of this movie, and considering when it was released. So, um, as you heard me mention at the beginning, this was released on June 28th of 1991, which was a week after Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was a massive movie, and then a week before... Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Massive movie. And yet this movie still made 86, nearly $87 million. Like nearly four times its budget. 
that's pretty incredible. For yeah. like this, you know, who would have thought like this wacky comedy that gets released in the middle of summer would perform I think people that well. really liked the first one. They just wanted to see this sequel. Yeah, I, I, it's either that or like maybe people couldn't get into the other two movies and they're like, okay, well, this is available. Sure, yeah. This is something to see. I don't know. Like, it could be a good combination of both, but it just, it was astounding to see it. I, I, for people who don't know, like, we're we're starting this off by doing um, movies from, like, the top 25 box office rankings of of the year. And so, you know, that that's why it's even eligible to be talked about. So this is one of the top 25 performing movies. In fact, it performed better than Cape Fear in terms of box office. So... It's the summer comedy movie people want to go the, see. Yeah, it was probably the comedy event. And then also, I mean, during the summer, don't people want to be indoors with air conditioning? It could be, yeah. And they're like, let's see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see a wacky comedy. But yeah, it could be just that the first one was so good. It didn't perform as well. It made less money, the first one did, than the sequel. Um, but... Uh, you know, word of mouth and just, you know, who knows? So that's, that's that. I do want to quickly, uh, go through the taglines cause they're kind of interesting. Okay. I guess. Well, not, not super interesting, but they're decent enough. Um, so we have three taglines that I found. One is, uh, Frank Drebin is back. Just accept it. <laughs> eh, like that kind of, whatever. Uh, the sequel's so big, they had to add, <laughs> they had to add a half. I mean, both of those kind of, like, fall in line with the meh comedy of the movie. Um, and then the third one, I think, is the best one. If you see only one movie this year, you ought to get out more often. I think that's a clever one. I like that one. Mm-hmm. So. That's Naked Gun 2 and a half. Uh, what was happening that week in 1991? June so I always try to, if I can, I'll try to bring up some true crimey element and the obvious true crimey element surrounding this movie is oj simpson so on june 12 1994 nicole brown simpson and her boyfriend ron goldman were found stabbed to death outside of her condo in la and obviously oj simpson was a person of interest in their murders and, but I'm not going to delve into no. that because there are also one million podcasts and TV shows. And there is the uh, American Crime Story, People versus O.J. Simpson, and then the O.J. Simpson documentary on Netflix called Made in America that do a much better job yeah. explaining. Yeah. If anything, we would do a podcast on the Zsa Gabor police man slapping. Right. <laughs> Before we do an O.J. episode. So what was going on during that week, pop culture-wise, is that the one thing that I forgot to add in the first episode for Cape Fear was the top song for that week, so I'm going to try and do that. Yeah, let's rectify it. Because um, I'm kind of mad at myself for not doing that. We'll, we'll add, it'll be on the blog. It'll, it'll, it'll be it'll on, be on the either website. the blog, but it'll probably be mentioned again because there's a lot of movies that would have been a re- released around that time, and I'll That's mention true. it at that time. That's true. So the top song for the weekend of June 28th, 1991, 
was Rush Rush by Paul Abdul, which I... Do you remember the music video? Was that the one that was mostly, like, her face in black and white? It was, like, a close-up of her face in black and white? It wasn't black and white, yes, but it was the rendition of the Rebel Without a Cause movie with Keanu Reeves. Okay. I I used to love that. (laughs) That was, like, back in the day when music videos were kind of like mini-movies. Right. And, yeah, I I really like that video. And then Keanu Reeves as in the James Dean role. And that song was on the number one spot billboards for five weeks. Very cool. The top country song for that weekend was Garth Brooks' The Thunder Rolls. Oh, that's probably... That's my favorite of his. I don't know very many Garth Brooks songs, but I know of that one and I enjoy it, so... I just I know a lot of people that like him, so I wanted to include that. Yeah. And I'm going to include some other things that I did in the last one was video game wise. Ooh. <laughs> I knew you would I'm intrigued. I knew you would like this. So on June 23rd, 1991, Sega releases Sonic the Hedgehog. Ah. Which becomes, he becomes the mascot for Sega. It becomes a huge hit. Yeah. So that was in 1991. I've I've never beaten it. Um, If a video game adaptation is ever done of any of the movies we watch, I'll definitely be sure to bring it up. There was no video game adaptation of this movie. (laughs) I think (laughs) it was too early to do that. Nah, not too early. We definitely will have some video game versions of some of these movies. So on TV, June 28th, that weekend, Friday night, was ABC, there was Full House, mm-hmm. Okay. Family Matters, Okay. Perfect Strangers, and then this sh- TV show called Going Places, which I looked up and it had Alan Ruck in it, Huh. and it was about four writers who go to Hollywood and try to make it big. It only lasted wow. one season, but I've never heard of this show, and I just did a brief look up. No, for, that's weird. Like, two TGIF lineups in a row where there's a movie, or not a movie, a show that we don't really know of. It's always... This is like in the, the three. It was TV. always like three, the three major ones, Full House, right. Family Matters, Perfect Strangers, and then it's always this fourth... Yeah, it's always that fourth Maybe one. it might be good, maybe not, maybe is. Right. That's interesting. TV I show. Look, I want to look that up now. Yeah. I'm curious about it. Let's go places to watch going places. So I thought that was <laughs> interesting because I've never heard of that show. And then on NBC was a TV show. It's a cop show called True Blue. <laughs> so <laughs> blue. So if you, if you didn't, if you weren't watching Naked Gun two and a half, you were probably watching True Blue. Yeah. On NBC, and like then the Quantum. Commoner you are. <laughs> anyway. And then Quantum Leap was on after yeah. that, which was I used to love Quantum Leap. Yeah, Quantum Leap was good. He and, jumped into the body um, of the president one time. My favorite episode of that was when he jumped into a body of a pregnant woman. Mm. That's the one that I remember the most. And another thing that when I was looking up this movie was that 
They are, as of 2018, they are thinking of doing a fourth movie. And the fourth movie is planned to be with Bill Hader as the star of Frank Drebin Jr., Frank's son. And it will be directed by David Sucker. That's interesting. I think I would watch it because I think Bill Hader would do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, like, David Zucker recently has not done such great stuff. I don't know. Like, he he continues to go back to the well, but again, he relies so much more on parody rather than, like, original off-the-wall comedy, like Scary Movie 3, 4, 5 are his. Like the first two were the Wayans Brothers, right. and then three, four, five are, are Zucker. Yeah, the ones that no that one, no one really. likes. So I'm worried about that. Um, I will say, I mean, if you I'm want curious, something like I like Bill Hader. If you want something that's recent, that's Naked Gun esque, the first couple seasons of Angie Trebekah are like right in line with that type of comedy, and, and it's well done. And then it starts to trail off too, but yeah. Is it ranking and rating time? Yes. All right, I'll let you go first. So I do it on the five-star scale. Um, I give this a three. It's okay. Okay. Like middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to give it... When I was coming into watching this movie, I was, I was just surprised that I liked it more than I thought I would. Because it is still funny. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an okay movie. Yeah, I agree. I I think, um, yeah, for me, I do a zero to four star scale with the half stars in there. I'm going to say two and a half for this one, so, like, slightly above average. Again, I, I was, I'm with you. I thought it was going to be terrible. Like, honestly, when we, watched the, when we watched the first one last year, I thought that was going to be a lot worse than it was, too. Mm. And I think what really helps it is there's very little political humor in here. You know, there's there's a lot of the jokes are relatively timeless they don't rely on you knowing current events um but they just let things play out in way too long and there's no payoff so not as good as the first one but still overall worth watching i think it's good um just not great would you watch it again every movie is worth watching once but would you watch it again um sure i mean i think i would watch the first movie over this one again yeah when you have the choice between the two go with the first one i think before i watch this one again i would definitely want to see the third third at least is okay if i hadn't seen it before which I, i honestly don't remember if i have so i also think that maybe it would take some time before i watch it again let the jokes breathe because a lot of the times comedies don't age well because you remember what the jokes are and if you don't like have a nostalgic attachment to them, then it loses a lot of its appeal and luster. So I think I need to let several years pass, like at least a decade pass before I try to watch this one again, just to make it a little bit more fresh in my mind. So if you out there want to watch Naked Gun two and a half, the smell of fear as well, as of this recording in February, 2021, it's available on CBS all access, which will soon be called Paramount plus uh, Crackle, Fubo TV, Sundance, Digital Rentals, VHS, DVDs. As always, just check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of the major 
podcast platforms. If you found us somewhere, just keep on finding us there. Uh, you can also email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of 800-plus movies, along with show notes, videos of the week, and much more. Uh, next week, we're going to go back to the serious side of things, and we're going to watch Bugsy. And if you want to watch that with us, it'll be available on Fubo TV, Showtime, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. But for now, thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. We'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>